0: Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Galatians, which is a little book in the New Testament, which is speaking about God setting us free from the life that we're born into. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to that little book in the New Testament. It's uh, found after the Gospels, and then you run into Acts, Romans, and 1 Corinthians and then you hit the, the little books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So uh, Galatians is li- a letter written to Christians, uh, and not only in, in that day, but in our day as well. And it, it's really to help us out. Um, have you discovered in life that sometimes you need a little help? Okay, and sometimes we don't recognize that our pride is too big, but we need help, and it's all right to need help. And that's really what this book is. It's, uh, it's not a self-help book, but it is a book in which you realize... We have a resource, God's help, that we don't have apart from Him. And this morning, I, I, the, the message title is Getting All You've Been Promised. And as I was sharing my lament over the owls that do not do what I was promised they would do, and the ultrasound flashing light uh, scare of crows did not work like I thought it was going to work, it's called Bird X, which sounds to me like I'm supposed to X out those birds. Sometimes we we will... We will We'll buy into the sales pitch and uh, take it home and realize it doesn't quite do everything it's supposed to do. Some of you uh, remember the, um, the pro uh, what was that called? What did I called it? The pro steamer that's supposed to take away all my wrinkles. It Qu- hasn't quite happened yet. Uh, sometimes we'll buy something that, uh, that was for actually for my shirts, in case you weren't here that day. I didn't buy it for that purpose, but uh, it had extra, extra promises in relationship, not only being able to iron your shirts easier,' you're supposed to take away the wrinkles if you use it right is that sometimes we will get promises that don't quite uh, fulfill all that which we expected to happen once we purchase the item. And to be truthful, I've uh, talked to many people who have uh, made that profession of faith, and once they got in it for for a while, they said, well, this isn't exactly what I thought I was buying into. I thought there would be much more to it than what I'm receiving. And sometimes it's, we're not doing our part, but sometimes we have these expectations that God uh, has not exactly promised to meet in the way we think they're going to be met or when they're going to be met. But one of the things we need to realize is that, that God calls us into his family. And when that happens, there are some unique things that happen. Uh, we become a child of his, and because of that, uh, we, are, we are keyed into a relationship with him That others do not have. I was I was reading this past week about something that you all you all who um, uh, are mothers um, or can remember your time when uh, your your mom was mothering you about the uniqueness of of a relationship between a child and and its mother. Uh, And not only science now, uh, not only life experience tells you this, but also science as well. Did you know a baby's cry matches its mother's language? A newborn child, just two or three days old, cries in a distinctive way, mimicking the sound of the child's mother. Researchers recently studied 60 healthy newborn children from both French and German families. And what they found was fascinating. Each newborn baby has its own cry melody. Now, I remember back to when my kids cried when they were that young. They didn't always sound like a melody to me. But anyway, it was a cry melody. A specific pattern of fascinating um, sounds that is unique to his or her cry. But more than that, they found that the babies will match the cry of the mother with the sounds and intonations of the mother's voice. So not only, you know, there is, you know, maybe you've been experienced where you have. A bunch of babies around and a bunch of mothers around and all of a sudden a number of them are crying and the mothers are able to distinguish the cry of their particular child. And one of the reasons of that is because that child's cry is mimicking or imitating that cry of the mother. Now as you think about that, as we think about our relationship with God, we need to understand that as we come into a relationship with God, He wants us to realize that that just as Jesus said in John 10, that my sheep um, hear my what? Voice. And God knows our voice and we should know God's voice. And God is speaking to us. And, and, and as we hear God's voice and it's recorded for us in Scripture, that we need to listen intently and then try to discern what is he really saying. And what, what I wanted this morning is, is to look at what does it really mean to get in or get all that God has for you. And as we look at this passage this morning, hopefully it'll be helpful and, and it will bring us to that point of, okay, now, now I know what, to, what I need to keep doing or stop doing or remember and other things to forget if I'm really walking with God and experiencing the fullness of a relationship with Him. So let's look at it this morning. And Really, my, my message is kind of summarized in this way. If we're really going to get all that God wants Uh, for us to have in our relationship with him, there there are a few key things. One is you need to know who you are. Secondly, you need to know what Jesus has done for you. And then thirdly, you know, actively, how do you really grow up in your relationship with God? And we're going to see that in a few verses this morning. So let's look at it first. You need to know who you are. And just like a baby knows who his mother or her mother is uh, because of her voice, we need to recognize, well, uh, who is our God? And, And and what, what, has, uh, what has He made us into if we are in His family? And what we're going to do is, is do what a lot of people do when they, when they preach or if they teach a Bible study. They try to say, well, where is that in the text? Where is that in the Bible? And we're going to try to see that this morning. So first of all, we must know who we are uh, if we really are a child of His. In Galatians 3.29, it's going back to a passage we looked a little bit last Sunday, Paul writes this, and if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants. And then he says this, heirs according to promise. So, really, what I'm speaking about in the beginning of this message is it's this. I'm qualifying the message. This message is for those who now are Christ followers. They are Christians. Okay, and you might ask yourself, what is a Christian? There's various ways you can describe that or define that in the Bible. But one of the ways you define that, that's a person who belongs to Christ. And and doesn't that make sense? If if you are looking at a a sea of children out there, and you are trying to to explain uh, who's in your family, which one is yours, you might say, well, that one belongs to me. That one doesn't belong to me. That one belongs to me. And and that's what it means to be a Christian. You, You belong to Christ. Not only do you invite Christ into your life, but you've invited, uh, you've placed your life into his life. You become part of his family. But just taking the text and say, well, who are you? Just really, who are you? And sometimes we'll self identify ourselves by, well, I am a, and we'll say what our occupation is or what it used to be. Or we'll say what our marital standing is. Or we'll talk about whether we're still. Raising our kids, or we'll talk about the hobbies we are in love with, um, or enslaved to, like for Warren, golf. Okay, is, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a struggling golfer. What are, you might identify yourself in a variety of different ways. But for a, a, a child of God, for one who belongs to Christ, one of the things you could say, well, I'm an heir to the promise. Well, that sounds pretty impressive, doesn't it? Well, what is that promise? And, and this, is, this is one of those things that when you feel a little bit low in your Christian life, when you, ever, you play that comparison game, thinking, well, the reason I'm so struggling in my Christian life is that somehow maybe I'm that person with the L. Have you ever seen this, the L on a person's forehead? What does that stand for? Loser. You And thinking, Maybe I'm just a loser. That's why I can't get this Christian thing working in my life. Well, you need to realize that God doesn't look at you as a loser. He looks at you as an heir to the promise. What did I have to do to get that? The same thing, Abraham. You're Abraham's descendants. Well, you just do what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So when when you are overwhelmed by what you don't measure up to, all the things you do that still aren't perfect, God says, I want you to understand that I look at you through the person of my son in an as I see you, I see you as a righteous person. In Romans 4, it, it goes on to describe Abraham's experience as he believed God and his account to him as, as righteous. He, they now use the word, and he was justified. Some have used the Sunday school definition for that. You have now been made just as if you had never sinned. Or put another way, ways, is, is you think about As God looks at you, he sees you in right standing before him. I am an heir to the promise that when I trust in him, he sees me as one of his own. I belong to him. But then Paul goes on, and and the reason he's emphasizing this is because he's talking to people who are really saying, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough to really have God ple- be pleased with me. And so they are trying to get all those who have made a profession of faith in Jesus and say, well, now you've got to obey all the laws of the Old Testament. Now you've got to b- go back to the Old Covenant and do everything that God revealed to Moses on that mountain. And you need to do all the festivals and all the days and all the everything. You've got to get really religious if you're going to walk with God. And it sounds more like a burden than a, than a privilege to, to know God. And he says, look, it, you are an heir right now to the promise that's been reserved in heaven for you. And then he goes on in verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. Now we're going to unpack a little bit that whole language of of being a child and a slave and an owner and all that kind of stuff, or a slave or a um, one who is not different from a slave, is he says, oh, oh, by the way, there is a difference of being a son. You are an owner of everything. Now, there, there are certain things in the Bible, when you read them, you go, this, this, is, this is beyond imagination. Really? You know, if you're an owner of everything, the Bible says that the the meek shall inherit the what, the earth, right? Well, I don't know about you. That means we have a lot of real uh, what, real estate. There's a lot of property we own. In fact, over the last, I just re- I just heard this this week is that if you were to take now this this is across the United States here, it might be even more so in California. But since 2000 and now 2019, is that real estate? Prices have doubled. Okay, so what you should have done in 2000 is buy as much property as you could and just sit on it, even though it we went way down and then came back up. It is this? Think about that. We we are owners of everything. Now the problem, of course, is that is that you can't walk in anybody else's home and kick them out, right? Um, because right now we are not owners of everything, but we have rights to that. So when we feel overwhelmed by what we don't have, just recognize what we do have, but it's in the future. And that's part of what we need to realize when we think about, are we getting are we getting all that we have been promised? Some of it is in the future. And if we think that this world is our home, we're just what? We're just passing through. God's re- going to recreate the new heavens and the new earth, but we are going to be ones that, if we're gentle, meek, we'll... Inherit the earth, and if we're poor in spirit, we'll have what? The kingdom of heaven. We, we've got a lot of stuff going for us. We're heirs of the promise, and we are owners of everything. But then he goes on, he says, Okay, but here's a couple other things you better realize. There's some, some good news and bad news, or some, some news you need to understand. Not necessarily bad, but good news you need to understand. But he is under guardian. Now he's talking about the child who at times is not different, different from a slave, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But then he explains it. He says, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. And you're thinking, okay, well, what are you trying to communicate here? Okay, it's kind of like how we experience life now. We've got all these glorious things promised for us in the future. This is not your, This is not your best life now. There's a very famous book written by... A pastor who said, "This is your best life now. This is not your best life now. Your best life is in the future." And, and he uses the imagery. He says, "Look, you all, you understand how this works." And back then, you understand. You can understand, and we can even understand in our day and age as well. When a a well, we'll make it a boy, though this is this is both genders here, and he uses it for both genders. But when a boy is brought into in that culture, uh, into a family, and he survived uh, that. He could look forward to the time when he was an adult and he could he can inherit all that his father had. But until that time, he didn't it didn't look like he was the owner of everything because even slaves were used as his tutors or his managers or his guardians, and whatever they told him to do, he had to what? He had to do it. But there is a coming of time, he said, when. The father, in fact, it says that in the text, when the date was set by the father, the son would become an adult. And when the son becomes an adult, then he gets all that was promised him. And in case you're not getting the flow of this, all that has been promised for us isn't going to be experienced now in the present. It's something that's going to be in the future. Any of you have some aches and pains today? I have some aches and pains, right? Now. Somebody, no. No is that the Bible says we're gonna have a new body, but have anybody got your new body yet? Uh the, the Bible and shed some tears recently? And I would probably all of us have it about certain things, more than a Hallmark movie or something like that. You know, that in the but it's the future where God says he's gonna wipe away every tear. You know, are there some things that we struggle with that that uh we feel uh, you know, God, why did you allow that to come into my life? And God says, I'm using that to test you and to grow you up. But there's coming a time when you're going to be fully formed into the image of Christ. And so we need to recognize that as we think about we're heirs of the promise, we're owners of everything, but we're limited when we're childish. Now, in our day and age, w- w- when to, we have some cultural things for the Jewish people. And he was re- actually writing mostly to Gentiles here. But to a Jewish person, particularly a boy, uh, you, would become, you would become an adult at age 13, and the ceremony was called a what? A bar mitzvah, right? Now, in our culture, th- there are certain things you can't do, and I would say as a, as a parent, you wouldn't want your, your six-year-old, you want to give them the keys to the car, right? Hey, go out and drive the car wherever you want. Go ahead and drive on the freeway. You know, I'm going to give you that car, you know, so you might as well just drive it now. Would you, any of us do that? You, you know, Legally, you shouldn't drive until you're what? 16. Is every 16-year-old really very mature and adultish? No, some are, right? Well, then how about 18? 18, you can actually go and fight on the, uh, you know, you can fight for our country. Is every, every 18-year-old ready to fight for our country? Uh, they might drive it into them, but I mean, 18, 18. But for us, legally, you basically get all rights when you're age, what's the number? Age 21. But it doesn't really matter whether you're 13 or 16 or 18 or 21, I think we all know people who have reached that age, but they haven't become adults yet. They're still acting childish. In this particular text, and also in the culture of the, of the Roman Empire, the father who had ultimate power, he would look it over his sons, and he wouldn't necessarily name them or call them an adult until he had decided. He had to look at their behavior. Are, are, are you now responsible enough to take on all the rights and privileges? It is to be an owner of everything I have. We don't usually give a, a, uh, an eight-year-old a credit card, right? Yeah, go ahead and charge whatever you want in whatever store you go into because they're not, they're not responsible enough. And so as we think about receiving, experiencing all that we've been promised, we need to understand what we've been promised for the now and what we've been promised for the now after, right? What comes afterwards. And so we are limited by being childish in our walk with God. And then he goes on and says this, and this is, this is really the point of all of Galatians. And some of you, as you think about who you are, you're an heir to the promise. You are owner of everything. Uh, but you're still a child and you need to grow up in your faith so you can trust me more. But some of you, you're regressing. Now, whether it be personal testimony to people you know, have, have you known some people that, that seem to have learned some important lessons of life and then after a while they went back and had to be retaught those same lessons again? Some of the habits of, the, of, the, of this life in which are debilitating and destructive and, and they get away from it and then they, they fall back into it again. And you're wondering, why are you doing that? It didn't work for you the first time. Why are you trying to do that now? And there's some passing pleasure of sin. There's all kinds of things that that draw people back to the old life. And so this is what he says to those who are trying to bring them back into living out the law, which wasn't for that purpose. He says this, So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. When we are younger, in the natural um, training of life, when children are, are are young and and progressing, you have to give them quite a few rules because they don't know what's, what, what's going to hurt them and what's going to help them, right? You don't touch that because you touch that, it's going to what? It's going to burn, right? And so you have to go through all that. When they're a little bit older, you don't have to, t- t- you know, my wife hasn't told me that in a long time, you know. Don't touch that. It's going to, you know. Or, you know, be careful, it's sharp. You know, you know, after a while, you don't have to tell, you know, people the same thing over and over and over again. But then but then, some people, they're fascinated with fire and they're, they're around the fire at, at a camp, you know, campground and they're getting a little bit too close. And have you ever had that experience where people were around the campfire and they, they put their feet next to the fire? And after a while, they realize that your shoes will actually what? They'll burn, right? And, and you have to learn that lesson again. And so what he's saying here, look at what you're doing, you're acting like a child, you're going back to the elemental things of the world, to the lessons you learned before. And what, the, what were those lessons? Is Those lessons were to, to, to teach you that there's much, much more than just looking at your relationship with God as a list of rules and regulations. Because that's what it was in the old covenant. That's what it was with Moses. And in Moses' day, and our day, the law has a purpose, it's good, but it's to teach us that we desperately need someone to come in and rescue us from our sin. That we, we don't measure up. That we are guilty before God. That no matter how hard we try, we're not going to get a passing get grade from God unless he comes and gives us the answers to life. And Jesus is the answer. Now, I, I think about, you know, the elemental things of life. It's, it's not that those things are important, but they have a purpose. The law was to, to lead us, as it said earlier in Galatians, to lead us to Christ, our desperate need to have a forgiver in our life. You now, t- take the elemental things in this life, like, uh, like the ABCs. Remember learning the ABCs? And I remember learning the ABCs. I had no idea what the ABCs were, but I remember, you know, learning them. And then after a while, I realized that the letters were here for a purpose because the letters, if you put them in the right combination, the letters made what? They made words, you know? And so, I, you know, I didn't go back reciting the ABCs again because I recognized that they would make words. So my, my purpose was to make the letters make words. But after a while, that got a little boring because you know, I just had these words everywhere. Then I realized that there's, there's a purpose for words. You put them together in the right combination, and they make what? They make sentences, a whole new world open. I can communicate a message or a thought. And then after a while, I realized, well, you know, speaking a sentence at a time, you know, that gets kind of boring after a while, too. So you, you, you want to put these sentences, and you want to put them together. If you were writing something, you put the sentence together into a what? A paragraph. And then you had a, a central thought that had some depth to it. But then you realize, okay, I got a paragraph. Is that all there is to life? And, and if you're writing something in, in more detail, well, maybe these paragraphs can be, become a chapter, and these chapters can become a book. But, you know, you can go back. I just want to go back to my ABCs. I don't want to make, I don't make, I don't make words anymore. I don't want to make sentences. I don't want to write paragraphs. I don't want to, or if it's a verbal, I, want to just, I don't want to communicate thoughts in a, in a way that makes sense. And he said, this is what you're doing with the law. You're taking these lists of rules and you're missing the purpose. Uh, you know, there were good things in the law, but the purpose was to lead us to Christ. Don't go back to the elemental things of life. So in a long way, I guess the emphasis is very simple. Is that as we think about getting all that God has promised, you need to know who you are. You are an heir of the promise. It doesn't get any better than that. You are an owner of everything. You get to cash in later on. But you need to recognize that you can also be childish. Who are you? I'm a childish person. You wouldn't want to say that, but sometimes that describes who we are, isn't it? And I've gone back to the old way of living. How's that doing for you? It's not doing me very good at all. And it could be any, any of the habits of life that are destructive. So then he goes on and said, well, what's the solution? Well, you need to recognize, again, the law was to bring you to Christ. Well, what, did, what does Jesus do for us? Beginning at verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. God decided, just like the father in the, in the Roman family would decide when the son became an adult, God decided when he would send forth his son. Born of a woman, born of the law, so that he, Jesus, might redeem those who were under the law. So just make an observation of the text. What does Jesus do for us? Why did he come? He came to redeem us. Now, we don't use that word redeem very often, do we? It used to be, remember, remember um, maybe this, this congregation will know more than the second service, at uh, first service but remember those blue stamps and green stamps and all those kind of things you used to collect and then you could bring them in and that you could get a prize if you were a little kid but you could you could get something from those things you save right and, and really what what Jesus is saying here what God um, inspiring Paul to write is that look at you you were a, you were an isolated person that was far from God and actually to take the the picture of that day you, you were a you were a slave. Maybe you've been conquered by Rome or some other nation, and, and you are not your own anymore. You were you you desperate, and you're wondering, well, what's going to happen to me next? And you're on this block, and there's a bunch of people out there, and they're deciding, well, are they going to bring you into their home? Are they going to bring you into your place of employment? And, and how you got decided as far as whether, where you went is that person out there looking at those who were up here they decided they would redeem you or purchase you for their own. And if you look at those list of people up there, you say, well, you could decide which ones were, were, were better purchases by the amount of how much money was spent on the person that was bought to be a slave in the home of the slave owner. And, and he takes this picture and said, you were, you were enslaved to your sin, and Jesus paid the highest price imaginable for you. Because he paid for you by his precious blood. And so as we think about what Jesus does for us, he, he buys us back into God's family. And he pays the highest price possible that we become one of his. And then it goes on and says that we might receive the adoption as sons. Not only does he bring us to his family, he says, you're not only just someone who's going to serve me, you're going to be one of my family members. You become a son to me. Interesting here, in that day, adoptions in the, in the first century it really didn't occur completely until they were brought into adult position. And as we think about adoption here, my wife has been adopted, and we have numbers in our church family that have adopted some of their children. But it's the picture of, as we think about what God does for us, what Jesus does for us, is he pays the highest price to redeem us. And then what he does, he, do, he chooses to bring us into his family. One of the troubling doctrines of the faith for many people who are familiar with the New Testament is that the whole doctrine of election or God's choosing. And we'll never completely understand that mystery of that, but I I, I am convinced that this is the theme he wants us to remember. Is that as we think about why are we into God's families, because God wanted us to be in his family. He, in the midst of all that were up here, he, he elected us, he chose us. When, when the, the owners were coming and seeing all the slaves, uh, what, what was the determining factor whether he went to this home or that home? It was a decision of the per, one who purchased you. And so as we think, of why did God want me? Why am I in his family? Because he chose me. He elected me. Now, the Bible also says, whosoever will may come, if if we desire that, then God will make that choice to bring us into his family. I don't know how you put that together, but I know the election and choosing of us is to remind us that when we're at recess and they're picking teams and everyone's scared, I just hope I get on some team. I don't want to be the last one picked or I don't want to be the one who's, who's not picked. Is that when we're in God's family, we were one of his first round draft choices. In fact, it's interesting as you think about how God works, you know, he's on the playground and the ones you think are going to be picked first, he picks the others first. He wants us to be part of his eternal family. So what does God do for us? What does Jesus do for us? He redeems us. He chooses us. And I don't have time to spend a lot of time on this one, but, but then he goes on and says in verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then heir through God. Now, some of the slaves in that day, they were beloved by the owners. In fact, when they had that opportunity to be set free, they chose not to be set free, and they would remain in that uh, family as a servant, and they would even have a, a piercing of their ear to mark that they were a slave by choice. But even in those days, if that were to happen, the slave or servant would never call the owner father. And what he is saying here? You weren't once were slaves, but now I've elevated the position that you are now sons. And again, the phrase is you sons, not children, because what he is saying to both men and women, that you are elevated the position, you have all the rights that a firstborn son would have in a home. The interesting thing about this is is, is you think about who God is. You know, he's he's our Savior. He's our Comforter. You think about the Holy Spirit. As we think about the other person of the Trinity, he's our Father. And and so often we take that a little bit for granted. And part of that is, is... The flow of Scripture. In the Old Testament, I was reading it this past week, that the term for God in the Old Testament in terms of God being our Father is only used 19 times in all those pages. In the New Testament, which is only one-third the the length of the two-thirds of the Old Testament, it's used 165 times. And when you look at Jesus uh, in the midst of all the things He said that just rattled people's cages, when He would call the one in heaven, his father, my father. They, they, they could not conceive of that intimate relationship with God being their father. Or as, as he says in this text, as well as in Romans chapter 8, he's our Abba father. He's our, he's our daddy. And it, it, depending upon what kind of relationship with you, you had with your father, this either brings back great memories or, or terror But the issue here, he's saying, look, I want you to understand that the the one in heaven, the one who created everything, the supreme being in this universe, he is your loving father. He's your daddy. He's the one you want to jump up on his lap and just spend time with. He's the one that you want to go outside and play with. He's he's the one that you can say anything and everything to. He's the one you can talk with and reason with and, and share with. He's the one who you know is going to love you unconditionally. He's the one who is always going to be looking for your best interest at heart. And so as we think about something radically that we don't always think that way because that's not our culture is that we were lost. We were enslaved and he redeems us with the highest price imaginable. He, he's, he's the one in the midst of, of all that we, we do is that he brings to that place where we're, we are adopted. He chooses us. He likes us because he wants us in his family. And he's the one who brings us into a loving relationship with him that we can, we can use every endearing term we can think of, that he's my, he's my papa, he's my, he's my daddy, he's my dad, and I can run to him. So as he begins to give them the picture, look, if you're, if you're going to experience the promises of God personally, you need to recognize who you are, and some have no limitations. Some do have limitations. You need to understand who God is and what he's done for you. But, but now you need to know what, what parts do you play? What do you need to do to grow up? And actually, if I were to put this more definitively, I would say, what should you not do if you're going to grow up? Because this is what he says. He warns them. He says, however, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. So he now gets back to these people who have been leading people astray, who have been taking these who had come to faith in Christ and now trying to tell them how to live out their faith. And he said, look, at, you're now being told to go back to what you used to be enthralled with, what, was, what captured your heart. And, and, and you need to understand that sometimes we used to follow after gods, but they weren't gods. Now we, we, you know, we have a sense that some people don't believe in God. Well, everybody believes in God. But sometimes their God is their car. Sometimes it's their job. Sometimes it's their, their hobby. It, 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 sometimes it's, it's, it's their money. It, you know, it's their whatever it might be. It's their food. They, you know, it, it's, whatever it might be. There are things in our life that capture our heart, and, and we, we live for it. It's clothes. It's money. Whatever it might be. And they will never satisfy. And he said, look, at, don't go back to that because only God is God. Don't be enslaved to that which is not God. And, and then he goes on and he says this. Don't enslave to yourself to idols. And that's really what an idol is. An idol in Colossians says, you know, that which you're, you have greed for has now become your idol. But then he goes on and says this. He goes, but, verse 9, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, and you could preach a sermon just on that phrase, How is it that we you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Now he meddles what they're what they're wrestling with. You're you're being taught to go back to the old covenant. You're being taught to to think that the Ten Commandments is what saves you. No, it leads you that you need to be saved. You're playing with the letters of the alphabet. You aren't forming words. You aren't forming sentences. You aren't communicating because you, you're, you're playing. It's, it's like, you know, we have a number of people who are into construction. It's like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Legos, you know. There's nothing wrong with, with uh, you know, blocks. But I wouldn't want to live in any of my Lego houses that I built, right? You, you better move on from the Legos. And he said, you, you got to move on from looking at the Christian life as, as simply rules and regulations. It's a relationship. You'll do so much more out of love for God than you will for a fear of God. He says, don't don't reduce your relationship with God simply to following rules. And then then he closes with this. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. And he's saying, look, you are going back, or for some of you, for the very first time, to what other people are saying you need to go back to, and those will not enhance your spiritual life. I, uh, I love studying the Old Testament. I love studying the Jewish culture. I love going to Israel and seeing all that God has done with them in the past and still in the present as He has preserved them. I think there's many lessons we can learn from how God worked with them and through them. But we need to realize that that was all to lead us to Christ. And if somehow people think, if you, we ought to, why don't we just observe all the festivals, all the, the special days in the Old Testament? Well, you can, you know, for the purpose of remembering how God was faithful. But if somehow you think that's a step up, and for them, it, it's, it's an activity, but it doesn't lead them to Jesus. Or, or some will say, well, you know, you're really only spiritual if, if, you, if you obey the Sabbath. Well, if that were true, our place of worship should only be on what day? Saturday. You know, Paul, takes it I don't care whether you you worship on Saturday or Sunday. I don't care what day you worship on. Just worship. And so what can happen is that we we put the cart before the horse or we look at the rules and regulations that were only to lead us to Christ. And so as we think about what God has for us, the the question we all need to answer, are are we getting what it's promised? For some, we need to realize this is just a down payment for what's going to happen in the future. Those aches and pains, they aren't going to go away until you get a new body. You know, those, those concerns of this world are, are not, you know, Paul got thrown in prison quite a few times. I wish, I know he, he would rather have been out there freely doing what he was doing, but God had a different idea. He had a different plan. And, and God never wastes not only a joy, but he doesn't waste a trial as well. And what we need to realize is that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. But while we're in this world, we want to do everything we can to be obedient and faithful to him. We want to be on mission, reaching out to people in our relational world. And it all begins to saying who we are, what Jesus has done and continues to do for us, and recognize let's not go back to the old way of life. When it's all about being new now in Christ and falling after him fully and faithfully. And that's what he pleads for them to do and to be, and that's what he pleads for us to do as well. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we pray that we might be a people, as Jesus said, that hear your voice, that hear what your word of God says to us, and to recognize that you want us to take everything that we do to enrich our relationship with you. Help us not reduce that which we think the, the life with you is all about, which is just rules and regulations. But it's about being obedient to that which you would have us to be and to do right now by your spirit, by your strength, and by the love of God that flows out of our heart. Father, we pray for anyone here this morning that doesn't know you. If they don't know you, might they recognize it's all about surrendering our lives to Jesus, putting our trust in him, and allowing him to do what only he can do in our lives. Father, we pray that we might be a people that show Christ to others. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.